0: Hey, 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 everybody. I am Heather Wild Smith. I am the mad genius behind Wild Coach LLC. I am a sales and marketing expert for purpose-driven online coaches and healers, people who want to make an impact and make great money without selling their souls in the process. And today, it is my pleasure to hang out with Adam and Danny on The Blind Idiots. One
1: wanted to be an astrophysicist, and one wanted to be a molecular chemist.
0: (laughs) Nah, just kidding. These guys are idiots. The Blind Idiots. Welcome to the show.
1: All right, another week is here of The Blind Idiots, a new episode, and uh, I'm so excited to bring this one to you. We got to spend a little bit of time with this lady just a few days ago to get to know her. Uh, Her name is Heather Smith. She is an ethical business coach. She really practices uh, ethical marketing and sales and tries to make sure that you are you know, pretty much promoting yourself the right way and you are putting yourself out there in a healthy way. Let's talk to Heather Smith this week. I'm so excited because her backstory is wild. How are you, Heather?
0: I'm great. It's really fun to catch up with you guys again. I had a great time talking with you on Friday. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Yeah, we had a good time. We had a good time with you. And, uh, and I'm telling you, I learned quite a bit about uh, some of the stuff you got into. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Your business, right?
0: I am a sales and marketing expert for purpose driven online coaches and healers. So, um, people that are in this industry for the right reasons, uh, the personal growth industry is supposed to be about helping people. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of really gross sales and marketing tactics that get taught, that get practiced. And for those of us that are in the business for the right reasons, they're very uncomfortable. It's very hard for us to get our businesses off the ground because we're just not comfortable with all these, you know, really hypey marketing, false promises, misleading marketing, um, you know, really pushy. I call it sociopathic sales. And um, so my mission is to help those people who are really high integrity and they really want to get out there and help people and they want to make great money. They're just not willing to sell their souls to do it. And so my specialty is to help people effectively market themselves without having to resort to any of these kind of like karma damaging practices.
1: All right. So when did you fall into the trap? Whose trap did you fall into that made you go, crap, I need to help other people out and uh, so that they don't ever get scammed again by these fake entrepreneurs out here?
0: Yeah. So I I did a bunch of, of, uh, of like big business courses. That's one of the things like they'll teach you to scale is you know you want to launch and get like a hundred people in your group program, and the problem with that is that it's just not effective like especially newer entrepreneurs need one to one attention to to really get it off the ground and um some of them out there they're 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 just not effective right they're just it's too many people with not enough one to one support for them to actually be effective right so that's one of the problems um but some of them are teaching things like You know, uh, I talked to you about this on Friday about how uh, you should use a sales script that's written in NLP in neuro-linguistic programming, which is a form of hypnosis. And I don't find that ethical because you're hypnotizing somebody without their consent and then asking them to spend thousands of dollars. So it was that that kind of stuff, Um, rationalizing, really bullying people into buying. Um, because, and, you know, using scare tactics, you know, um, really rubbing their, their faces into their pain points, going for the cry is one really disgusting sociopathic sales technique is you really, uh, make people really dig into how much misery they're in so that they're emotionally off balance and you can kind of push them into a sale, even if they're you know not comfortable with it. Um, you know, there's just a lot of crap like that. So it wasn't one particular thing. It was something that I saw over and over again. And I continue to talk to people who have these really negative experiences. There's a lot of coaches, business coaches out there that they they know they're very good at marketing and selling themselves and their services, but they can't actually help people with it. And so people will spend thousands of dollars uh, to try to learn from this person. And all they get is, well, you just need to like cleanse your aura or you need to, (laughs) these are like the the spiritual base or you just need to, you know, it's just your mindset. It's just your mindset. And, and they don't, they don't tell you that the whole reason why they're making all this money is because they're using hype marketing and sociopathic sales because that would, that would burst the bubble. Right. So you spend all this money to learn from them and, and then they won't even tell you what's actually working for them. They make up all this bullshit. So, um, I never intended to be a business coach. I had a very low opinion of business coaches because there is so much bullshit out there, but, um, I, I wanted to be a sex coach at one time. Um, and I want to do more of that again, like adult sex, positive sex ed is really fun. And, um, and I, I'm really good at transformation. Hold on stuff. a minute. I really?
1: Right, let's talk about that. <laughs> I'm so curious. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So let me, let me kind of finish how I ended up being a business coach. And then I'll certainly will come back to that because that's the really fun part of my story. Right. So, um, but yeah, I didn't want to be a business coach. Um, I've, I have, to, have done a lot of transformational work on myself to heal from a lot of the mental, emotional, verbal, sexual abuse that I have survived. And I've come up with, you know, I've amassed all these techniques. So I'm really good at helping people with that stuff. And that's initially what I wanted to do as a coach. But, but I hated the sales and marketing so much because I kept investing and I kept coming up, you know, if I would invest and, uh, you know, get into this new class and I would think, okay, these people have got the secret. They're going to help me do this. And it was the same old bullshit over and over again. And, um, I, I gave up on my dream, you know, a few times. And then finally I was like, okay, I'm wasting my talents doing anything other than coaching. It's really what I'm called to do. And if I can figure out the sales and marketing, if I can figure out a way of doing it that works, that I don't hate, that I don't feel like I need to sage my office and take a hot shower afterwards, then, you know, I'll probably will never like that part of my business, but at least I'll be able to help people, right? That was the mindset and um so I got I got some one-to-one coaching and eventually I, I pieced together a way of selling that felt good. And by the time I did that, I realized that there were so many people that needed that, right? And so that's kind of how I fell into being a business coach. Um but yeah, so <laughs> my story before then. So um yeah, I mean, I had I had kind of a, a rough time growing up, you know, just you know, dysfunctional family dynamics, um, growing up in a, a small town where um, I was listening to another guest, uh, the guy who's the ethical drug dealer. I was listening to him talk in the beginning of the story was saying that, you know, he just felt like he was born in the wrong place. And I definitely, you know, related to that. Right. And, um, you know, so I was pretty miserable growing up, but I was really smart and I did really well in school. And, um, I decided at a very young age, I was going to be the valedictorian at my high school because I knew I would be guaranteed a scholarship. And, um, I knew that that was, if nothing else, that was my ticket out of that town, But when I was 15, I I saw a movie that really set my imagination on fire, and that movie was Pretty Woman. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) Julia Roberts is actually from Georgia. Uh, She's from Smyrna, which is pretty close to Atlanta, Uh, but in the film – They they knew they couldn't do anything about her accent, and so they made the character from Georgia. They made Vivian was actually from Georgia, but she was from Macon, which is you know a smaller town. So I related to her, like she had an accent that was you know similar to mine. But the the funny thing about it is you would think that I saw that movie and I was like, Oh, I want to be a hooker so that I can marry this rich guy, right? And that's not (laughs) the way it played. It was wow. She she escaped and she went to California and she had this big adventure, you know, with like pimps and drug dealers and, you know, madness. Yeah. Oh, my. And um, in the part in the movie where, you know, she's saying that she wants the fairy tale and he's saying, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you an apartment. I'll give you, a, you know, a car. I'll give you, you know, you've got these new clothes, um, but, you know, I, but I'm not going to I'm not going to do the fairy tale thing. Um, and she says that she wants the fairy tale, my 15 year old self who has never, had never been around a sex worker to my knowledge, probably never been around them. And just, they didn't tell me they were sex workers. Um, my, my 15 year old self was like, bitch, are you crazy? Like take the new setup and get better clients. You know, you can fuck this guy when he comes into town, (laughs) (laughs) but just upgrade your game. (laughs) And it was literally what I thought. And, uh, So from that moment on, I was like, I really want to be a hooker. That really looks fun. Right. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. Um, You know, I'm from a good family. I hadn't figured out how fucked up my family was at the time. And, uh, and there's good things about them. Don't get me wrong. They're doing the best they can, but my God, a lot of dysfunction. And, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right. I mean, yeah. Right. It's like, that's everybody's story to some extent or another. And uh, so I was like, I'm too smart. You know, I'm really good in school. So, you know, smart girls don't become hookers. And, uh, so, you know, I went through my, my teens and, and, you know, was like really depressed. I was, um, I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink because that could have all fucked up. Well, not smoking, but drinking and drugs could have fucked up me getting scholarships, but I was promiscu- promiscuous and was like, it was basically like, I just want to like make straight A's and have some sex and, and <laughs> I'm happy.
2: <laughs> that sounds like high school for everybody. <laughs> like, I just want to get good grades. And have sex. Like every 15 so, year old boy uh, th- just went,
0: Yes, this lady has it. Yes. She's nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's inside my head That's right it. now. Exactly. I actually I don't think most people are as concerned about getting good grades as I was. It was like a life or death That's thing. True. That's true. Um <laughs> but I definitely was concerned with having sex. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So that kind of led into what? Like, did you achieve
2: valedictorian did you how did high school kind of wrap up for you did you you know what what took place after kind of seeing that movie and putting yourself in that mindset and focusing on the grades and sex and everything else where,
0: where did things go <laughs> grades and sex uh <laughs> yeah so um so I finished school and I graduated I was second in my high school class which I'm still like a little bitter about that um but salutatorian still got the scholarship so um, I went to the University of Georgia on two academic scholarships. Had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I just wanted the fuck out of, and this is this is the punchline. I'm from Cumming, Georgia. C-U-M-M-I-N-G Cumming, Georgia.
1: Hey,
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a real place. That's a real thing. That's a real place. A oh, real, that's hilarious. Real thing.
0: Yeah. So um, so I just wanted the fuck out of that town, right? So I get to the University of Georgia. You know, and I'm I'm taking like a, you know my freshman bullshit and everything, and um I get introduced to LSD, and um I fucking loved it. Psychedelics are the bomb. Shut out shrooms, I agree. Freshman, yeah, you know shrooms. I don't. We can have a whole discussion. LSD is is my thing. That's that's like that's that's mm-hmm. that's the that's how you talk to God. That's right there. that's where it's at. That's the <laughs> golden <laughs> ticket. Talk to God. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you talk uh, to God right funny. there. That's how you get your mind right. Um, yeah. So uh so somebody introduced me to that. And um, you know, which was all all well and good, but when you're emotionally off balance, drugs, especially psychedelics, probably not the best thing to do, at least without like, you know, they've got like LSD and, and psychedelic assisted therapy, that's a whole different thing. But if you're on your own and depressed, don't don't eat shrooms, probably not a good idea. Um so um, but during that time, like my my family life got crazier. My parents finally divorced, which was a good thing, but it, you know, created a lot of instability. And the the two years that I was at college, I just got steadily more depressed and I sank like further into anxiety. And, um, you know, I institutionalized myself because I was, um, having a lot of suicidal ideation and, um, had to, you know, spend seven days in a mental institution. That was fun. Um, (laughs) and then, um, you know, my grades were pretty good and everything but it was getting harder to focus because i was i was having so much anxiety and i still couldn't figure out what i wanted to be when i grew up and i thought about going into therapy but i i i know myself and i know that being around the energy of really really depressed people would have just it would have done me in right so i was like that's not really a good option and um after my sophomore year my family went fucking crazier like really really fucking crazier and um, i was house sitting for somebody in Atlanta. And so I was on my own, you know, like really on my own on for the first time. And, um, uh, it was the summer of the Olympics and I kept trying to get jobs at like fast food places or you no, know, at first I was trying to get bartending jobs, but like everybody in the world had come to an, Al- to Atlanta thinking they were going to make bank off the Olympics. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. there was, it was really hard to get a job. And I started thinking about it and I was like, I can go strip. Nobody would know. You oh, know, my so family this started out as stripping. Really, yeah, yeah. And uh, which I never had any fantasies about stripping. It was just kind of like, as my therapist at the time, she was like, I, she was like you, I could see you just sticking your little toe in, right? So, so um, I went and I got uh, a dancer's permit and uh, went and got hired at this club. And on the second night I was there, I got accused of being an undercover cop. <laughs>
2: Wow. Okay. <laughs> management. Oh my! God. <laughs> They're like They're she's like, not hot like, enough. Like, Something's 19, up.
0: Well, it was just I just I just looked I looked very innocent and I looked very young for my age. Like I was twenty and and I I probably looked like seventeen and I wasn't drinking. I wasn't trying to drink, you know. So they were like, "What? What's the fuck?" And well, the other thing is, is like I got my dancer's permit on a Saturday because this bitch lied to me and told me they were doing permits on a Saturday and I showed up and the cops felt so bad for me that they gave me a permit. They don't do permits on Saturday. So that was the other thing. They were like, what the fuck is up with this? Yeah. So, um, so they drove me in the office and they're like, they're like, are you a cop? And I said, no. And the guy said, are you a cop? And I said, no, I'm a broke college student. And he says, now you you now understand that you told me you're not a police officer, so any evidence that you gather against us can't be used because blah, blah 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 which is which is not true. A lot of criminals think that's true, and they need to get better fucking lawyers. You
2: know but, what's so crazy about that though too It's like if I, I immediately go in my head just you telling me that story. Go, there's nothing wrong with
0: stripping. Strip clubs right. are a thing. What are you doing as an owner exactly. that you're so worried yeah, about being a cop? exactly. And my mind did go there. I was like, if they're worried that worried about an undercover cop coming in here, there's shit going on in here that I don't need (laughs) to fuck with. Like I, I was, I was really naive. Like I was really fresh off the turnip truck in a lot of ways, but I was, I was smart enough to put that together. I was like, I, you know, I don't know. So then I went to a lingerie modeling shop that lasted for a couple of months. Um, it was in a really shitty part of town. Um, I didn't know my way around. Uh, But yeah, it was a shitty part of town. And like the street hookers would come in and like try to take our, our, our tricks from the parking lot. And so the guy that was the, I don't think it was the owner. He was the manager. His name was big Ed. um, He'd be hanging out the window, like waving his gun around, trying to scare him out of the parking lots. And like, we're all sitting in this little room, watching TV, waiting for people to come in and you could hear big Ed, like screaming out the window. Like it, it was I don't know. I just, and I this love, is still Atlanta. This is still Yeah, this is still Atlanta, you know? Wow. So at the time it was just all a big adventure. I was just like, Haha, that's funny. You know, what, <laughs> but what? I mean, the reality is I could have been killed going to work, you know, at any time. When you look <laughs> at like Atlanta today and like, it's,
2: you know, consider, you know, Atlanta and Miami is like strip club capitals of the world and stuff nowadays.
0: Um, I think oh, no, Atlanta is. used to be the strip club capital of the world they um so it was worse atlanta, in the 90s oh god we had so many more strip clubs okay um, okay the uh, city of atlanta like it used to be the one of the biggest convention cities in in the country maybe the world and the reason for the part of the reason for that is because we had so much adult entertainment there were shit tons of escort agencies there were a shit ton of mm-hmm. strip oh come clubs. on you know drake, um, were, drake
1: had a song called houston atlanta vegas where he talked yeah. about the yeah. three cities that had some of the best strip clubs in the country.
0: Yeah. There used to be a shit ton more of them. Right. But the city of Atlanta decided that they didn't like that. And so they, there was like four or five, like after hours club or 24 hour um, nightclubs. They weren't strip clubs. They were 24 hour nightclubs that functioned in Atlanta. that had been grand, grandfathered in. And uh, so it was a great place to come for a quote unquote convention and party your ass off. Right. And, um, Everybody made a lot of money like that, but the city of Atlanta decided they didn't like that. And so they started making it harder and harder for adult businesses. They slowly shut down all of the 24-hour businesses or 24-hour nightclubs and cleaned it up. And around that same time, Vegas decided they were going to go after the convention business and started marketing to that. And it 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 really hurt the Atlanta economy, especially the Atlanta uh, sex industry.
2: Wow. That's it. I, I didn't know. I guess... I mean I I remember being able to kind of think back to like what Atlanta was in the 90s and I'm never was there in the 90s but I just remember seeing it on TV and reading about it and hearing about it um and then looking at it today and what it's how popular it is today so obviously there was a downtime and then there, it's almost like it's been rejuvenated to being a popular destination again cuz I mean now it seems like
1: now yeah, it's like a little Danny more focused on media, like right yeah, now media, it's like the media capital. A lot sure, of TV out just, there. A lot of yep. Yeah.
0: But
2: even just a like, lot like of the movies, the ladies'
0: a lot of, uh, entertainment
2: studios. stuff, the strip clubs, they have some of the best strip
0: clubs in the world in Atlanta now.
2: Like you know, oh not yeah, out of the
0: loop. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think like uh Magic City downtown, um, which I've been, I I, I went in once. Um, that that's a big that's a you know big spot. And I'm sure a of course, lot yeah. of music industry people go there. You know, it's definitely a hot spot for you know the players, pimps, and drug dealers. Um, <laughs> and then, oh man, I've heard there's some crazy things that happen in, in Atlanta. You got,
1: you got women smoking blunts with their vaginas. It's bananas out there. It's good stuff. What a waste of weed. <laughs> I mean, I agree, <laughs> but hey, if you're gonna do <laughs> some it. tricks, I love it. You start stripping, <laughs> you start stripping, uh, that doesn't last long from what it sounds like, right? And then you, you like you said, you started yeah. hanging out, uh, and these hookers would come in and mo- and, and would pretty much mo- mock or you know, mimic what you guys did to impress the people in the lingerie no, 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 no. modeling.
0: Yeah, so we were we we're in this little building and it was a lingerie modeling shop and you know guys could come in, they would pick you out of a lineup and you go in a private room and it was basically like it was basically like going to the private room at a strip club without the the whole like girls dancing out on and doing ta- table dances and stuff in between. It was like instead of going into the strip club where you go in and there's all the stuff going out in the main rooms and then you can also go to a back room. This was just like going to the back room, right? So um the but the, but out in front of where we were, the building was, it was one of the the shady tracks for streetwalkers, and their prices were lower to you know get sucked and fucked you know by them than it was to come in and just see us in, in lingerie or to see us, us naked, and so they would come into our our parking lots and, and try to like steal the guys you know and keep them from coming in to see us, and um, it was just madness. is that how
1: you made it into being. a... Uh, uh- a hugger.
0: So, so I'm sitting there and I'm in this lingerie modeling shop and, um, I'm the only white girl there and, um, nobody likes me and (laughs) I'm just like there, you know? And, um, so I, I just, I never felt like at home. I never felt comfortable there. And I was just picking up game from like listening to these other girls talk. And, one girl uh, was talking to another and she was like, yeah, you know, we're better than strippers because there's this whole thing like this hierarchy everywhere. Uh, but in the sex industry, everybody feels like the way that they do sex work is the best way. And everybody else is idiots. and it's, it's just, it's fucking dumb. It's all the same shit. But um, she was like, yeah, we're better than strippers because we only have to dance when we get paid to and we're better than hookers because we don't or better than escorts because we don't fuck. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, but escorts make more money, you know? So, (laughs) and, and and really that is not necessarily true. It depends on how much game you have. You know, some of those girls knew how to hustle. So they may have been making more money than I did, you know, when I first started escorting, just because they knew how to tip hustle. But I was also listening to them talk about that. So um, there was a, there was a local, they called it a magazine, but it was a paper and um, it was, it was all about the sex industry. And so they would review strip clubs and everything, but it was basically just a place for like all the escort agencies and lingerie modeling shops and yada, yada, yada to advertise. And so I started looking through this paper and there's all these different agencies and I'm like, okay, who, who should I, who should I talk to? And there was one that had a full page color ad. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a college kid. I'm very like, I'm very, you know, geeky. I'm very like rational, and I'm like, okay, if they can afford a full-page color ad, that they're probably making really good money, right? I don't want to call one of these little ads. I want to call, you know, the people that are paying the big money for the big ad. And um, it turns out they were the biggest and longest-running escort agency in Atlanta. So I made a really good choice. And um, I wow. called them up, and um, yeah, it was it was really funny um, because I <laughs> I was really smart in some ways and really fucking stupid in others. So I, I know what's an escort agency and I have, you know, I, I know that I'm going to put on makeup and fix my hair and put on heels and everything to go to work. But I show up to the interview in hiking boots, um, a T-shirt and jeans, <laughs> and my hair was short because I had I'd actually buzzed my head. I had actually gone like full folks oh, in college and, uh, and, and buzzed my head. So <laughs> oh. my hair was really short. It was just growing out. And um, we would meet up in parking lots, like all the agencies were all along this one road, uh, Roswell Road um, in, in Atlanta slash Sandy Springs, uh, because you were, in, you were technically a part of Atlanta, so you could get in the Atlanta phone book, but you weren't in Atlanta City jurisdiction, so you didn't have to worry about Atlanta City cops coming after you. So they were all on this one road, <clears throat> but they didn't want you to come to the actual offices because they didn't want you to bring somebody to rob them. Right. And so they would meet up with you in parking lots. So um, I met up with this guy in the parking lot of a Kinko's back before it was FedEx Kinko's. It was just Kinko's. And um, he looked at me and he was like, are you sure you know what this is? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I had to give him my social security number and everything because you can, you can, you can buy pussy with credit cards. You know, these, these escort agencies use credit cards. And so they were going to file taxes on me and everything. And I was like, what the fuck?
2: So how does that work? Like, and forgive my ignorance, but I mean, I'm, I'm someone that obviously I know about kind of things today have loosened up a little bit. But like, I thought escorts and all that kind of stuff has always been illegal. Like, how do you, was it hush hush? Was it like.
0: Yeah. So they they had to get special, like they there's only a few credit card processors that would do it for you know escort agencies. And it was all this hush hush, nod wide, nod wink, wink, like, yes, my my girls are really just going to dinner with these guys. My guy, I mean my girls are really just going on vacation and there's no hanky panky going on. And what that's, how, that's how after that it. is on them type of deal. Right. You know, that's okay. that's how they sold it. But I I was I was like, are you kidding me? And I, and it's the I the same like thing I as said, massage
1: was- parlors and happy endings. Like they're, they're setting it up as a massage, but yeah. if she ends up fucking tugging at it and putting her lips on it, <laughs> I mean, they're not going to really gotcha. know it,
0: exactly. Which is why all this, all this legislation around this stuff is just so fucking stupid. But one of the many reasons why it's so fucking stupid, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so they hired me and, uh, I, I went back to the the, the place I was house sitting and as soon as my tires touched the, the, uh, con the asphalt of the parking lot, my pager went off because this is, you know, pager days. Mm-hmm. And, um, they sent me to see like four different people that night. And I didn't have sex with any of them. Like I had picked up enough hustle that I, you know, knew that whatever price they brought me in at, that was basically for me to come in the door. But if they wanted me to do anything else, they were going to have to give me more money. And, um, so I was learning and, um, yeah, at the end of the night, I had like five hundred dollars, and I really hadn't had to do anything, and I was like, "I'm sold. This is the best thing ever."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting too. Like you brought up the magazines and stuff. Wow. I remember even just like 2000 being 18, and like going into just like juice bars, like in Portland, and and Portland kind of had this. It, I think it still kind of does. Like it's this one of the strip club considered one of the strip club capitals of the world just per capita the amount of strip clubs that they have, but they include juice bars in that. And for anyone that doesn't know juice bars, just essentially 18 and over. No, no alcohol. Um, but there would be like just stacks and stacks of these magazines at the Mm -hmm. door and they're all different local nationwide, wherever you wanted to whatever it was. And like you said, yeah, like you just open it up and boom, full page ads of women of clubs of agencies of, and then it was like the most random things too. There'd be like a sharper image, like advertising and stuff like that. It's like, oh, well, okay, this is a legit piece of media here. But it was it was always interesting to just see, you know,
1: what was going on. One of the bits we did on radio oh, when I was doing a radio show about nine years ago, we it was when the Siri had first came out, and we said to Siri, "Hey." escorts near me Uh you know I'm saying find escorts near me and uh and it showed up with this company called bootylicious escort wow classy so we ended up calling them on the air that was nice right so we ended up calling them on the air and of course they don't know but we're calling them and uh and i go yeah we're we're," you know i'm saying me and my boys we want we want 10 girls tonight And they were like, you know, you got to pay for each girl, right? And we were like, yeah. And we were like, how much for each girl? And she was like, they're $200. And we go, all right, they got fat asses, though, right? Like, I just need to make sure that all of them have a fat ass. We got hung up on. And we were were so pissed. We were like, that's false advertising. You can't call your company Bootylicious Escorts. And they hang up when I ask if they got fat asses. So the reason
0: that they (laughs) hung up on you is not because they couldn't deliver girls with fat asses. They didn't like your attitude, and they were worried about the safety and the amount of chaos that would happen if they sent girls to you.
1: Mm. Let's tie this to what you do now. How do you think uh, being an escort has made you a, a, a great coach? Or has benefit has benefited you when it comes to coaching people
0: one of the coolest things about it is that I can talk about you know my past I, I had a drug problem for 10 years I um, I had um, you know I had a lot of fun as an escort it was it wasn't just a job it was an adventure um, but I had a lot of bad shit happen too I had a lot of traumatizing shit happen um, there and um, I, I'm overcome it right and I mean I have a police record. Um, you'd have to dig pretty hard to find it because it was all misdemeanors, and it was years ago. But I mean, I do. I was arrested a few times. And one of the most powerful things I bring to the table is really talking to people and and letting them know that, like I'm not perfect. I don't have the stereotypical, you know, i I went to college. I graduated with honors. I went and had a corporate job, and now I'm an entrepreneur, and i'm I'm so successful. My story's a little darker, right? And so I'm really able to to be a light for the people who, their their stories don't match up to that, and maybe they're worried like I can't be successful or I can't be happy because you know I was a drug addict or I was a sex worker or I was a drug dealer or you know I've I've got a arrest history you know whatever. So my my strength from that is really just being a light for other people that that are afraid that their past is going to haunt them forever. And I really show you that your your past only defines you if you let it. You don't have to be ass out like like I am, you know. You don't have to be you know so open. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm really turning this part of my life that would be a detriment, you know, to like, when I worked as a limo driver, I certainly couldn't talk about it, you know, but now I'm at a place where I can actually turn this around and I get a lot of interviews, not really because of what about my coaching and and my message with that, but about my past. But in doing that and talking about my past, I also get my message about what I'm doing now, you know, and I'm able to be that light for people and just say, Hey, look, you don't have to let your past define you. You know, there's ways to heal. There's other options. You know, if I can do this, you can do it, too. Uh,
1: On your website, you say a quote that uh, you've definitely used. You say therapy kept me from jumping off a building. Personal growth made me stop wanting to jump off a building. Expand on that a little bit. Tell me uh, why that's something that you have stuck to saying.
0: Yeah, so um, I was in therapy for 10 years. And, um, you know, it was, she's a great therapist, um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of different types of, of therapy, right? So you got to find the one that works for you. And her type of therapy as brilliant as she was and qualified as she was. And as much as I know, she actually cared about me as a human being, her type of therapy was just sit around and rehash it. It wasn't like challenging me to like, think differently, make different choices, you know, stop putting up with bullshit people, you know, raise my standards, that kind of stuff. And, um, so that's that's where personal growth comes in. That's why it's so powerful. A, a combination of therapy and coaching, a melding of that would be fucking amazing, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, so that that, you know, I sunk further into depression, anxiety, and drug use, sitting on a therapist's couch. And um, it wasn't until I had to go into recovery at 30 that my life actually started to get better. And that was because the recovery program that I went through, there was, there were action steps of the things you had to fucking do. Right. And that actually, I got dismissed from therapy, like two and a half years later, because she was like, you're just checking in. Like you've actually, you know, you're actually like at a, a healthier place. And then, um, it got to where we recovery was so helpful for me, but it, it got to a point where i would really grown past where a lot of people are, are kind of happy, just getting to a point where they don't drink or use anymore. And, and that's a milestone, but like, I actually wanted to, to, to be happier i actually wanted to like you know be be happier be a better me and so that's when i really really started diving into personal growth and you know i i still i don't know i may be somebody that i go through periods of suicidal ideation for the rest of my life because i i do you know just like once or twice a year i'll just have this thought of you know well i can always kill myself <laughs> but i know what to do about it now right and um but it's not this constant weighed down depression like all the time i don't have to take medication anymore and um you know i'm actually able to move forward and i and i like myself and i love myself and it's it's because of the things i learned in personal growth that actually allowed me to process it and let it go instead of just sitting around talking about it over and over again
2: alonda
1: uh the- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead,
0: go ahead. Ian. No, go
1: ahead, go ahead. Uh, I know one of the things that you said you uh, I'm definitely.
0: I'm being double teamed by the blind. Oh yeah, yeah. You <laughs> like that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't have mon- I don't have money for you, Heather. Uh, listen, but uh, I know one of the things you talked about on your website is uh, is you also suffered from stage three breast cancer. Uh, when did that happen? Yeah. And uh, I mean that. I'm sorry. So sorry to hear that, but I'm so glad that uh, everything's okay at this point. But uh, how long ago did that happen? I mean, was, did that happen while you were in, an escort? Did that happen when you were starting your business? Uh, what, what was that looking like for you?
0: So that, it, it was recent-ish. So I just turned 46 and I was 42 when I was first diagnosed. And um, they thought it was stage zero cancer. There was nothing to fill at all. Like I couldn't feel it. Doctor couldn't feel it. But a mammogram showed some funny stuff. And then a biopsy showed some funnier stuff. And they're like, we think it's stage zero. Um, you know, I got a couple of, you know, if you any kind of serious medical diagnosis, go get multiple opinions for the love of God, because people will tell you different things. The general consensus, though, of everybody, you know, was that it was cancer. And they're like, we don't really know how bad it is um, until, you know, we get in and we do the mastectomy. They're like, yeah, stage zero cancer. We just we need to cut your boob off and 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 like burn you with radiation. And I was like, what the fuck is stage zero cancer, and why do we need to be so aggressive? You know, Um, but I had like the worst type of stage three. Like I had really, really, really abnormal cells that were almost cancerous, but not quite. So uh, a few months later, they did a mastectomy, and they found out that I actually gotten into three of my lymph nodes. So the size of the area of Abnormal tissue, plus it being in my lymph nodes, that's what boosted it to the stage three designation. And uh, I had to go through a full year of treatment. Um, it was a, a year of chemo. The first four months of it were the harshest, um, and then like thirty, you know, twenty-five radiation treatments. Um, I got really bad burns. My the left side of my chest looked like Freddy Krueger's face. It was fucking horrible. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty well sucked. Right. But it gave me time. Like during that time, I went through another coaching business coaching program. Um, and that's where I learned most of what I teach now about sales. Um, it was the least toxic way of selling that I had ever found. There were still some things that I didn't really like about it, but it was the least toxic. Uh, so that was good. Um, I was just talking to my mindset coach about this the other day of all the good things that came out of me having cancer. Um, you know, I, I sing and, uh, I was able to go to these local jams with my dad and I discovered my upper register, you know, during that time, I'd always sang really low. Um, so now I can sing high. Um, but it gave me a lot of time to focus on my business. And, uh, the shitty thing was is that I had just bought a limo. I just bought a, a Cadillac sedan to work for this really high end car service. And, um, you know, I was running from the coaching thing. I was like, I'm never going to figure out the marketing and sales. It sucks. So, you know, I'm just going to go do this other thing. And I had just bought the car and I was getting ready to quit this leasing office job that I fucking hated. And I found out I had cancer. So, um, I couldn't start that. Um, I had to wait until I was, I was done with treatment, uh, to get back on that. Um, you know, which was all just another, another one of Heather's great adventures. Um, but, uh, I am almost, well, I'm a little over three years out from when the cancer was removed from my body. And if it's going to recur, it's usually in the first five years. Uh, so according to my oncologist, I'm not completely in the clear yet, but I'm, I'm moving toward that way. And, um, you know, feeling really healthy, feeling really good. Um, and it's something else that, you know, I can bond with people over, you know, if somebody is going through that, um, I just think the power of One of the reasons why coaching over therapy is so powerful, depending on what somebody needs, if somebody really, really has a lot of trauma and everything, don't go to a coach, go to a therapist, go to somebody who who knows how to help you through that. But one of the things so powerful about coaching is that you can share your story and, and and this person talking to you is not somebody who learned about it in a book or studied it in college. They've actually been through it. And I think that's really, really powerful. Is, uh, you know, somebody talking you through it that's actually been there?
2: Well, when you can really actually, like you just said, when you, when you, if I wanted to sign up for your services, it makes a difference to me when I can actually connect with that person. Just because you posted some content on your Instagram of you in front of your Lamborghinis or your Malibu side (laughs) beach house, like that doesn't do it for me. Like, great. You got to that point, which... 99% of you haven't got to that point you just have a rich friend that lets you use their garage
0: or 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 they're just paying for photo shoots in those locations yes yeah yeah
2: yeah. you know I yeah that doesn't do anything to me when I know that you had just as much struggle with you know your your what you look like as a kid and and drug abuse and a and, and a fucked up family and you know, health issues and medical issues, and look, you're still successful, you're pushing yourself, you're grinding, you're doing all that stuff. That makes me want to sit down and talk to you more and more and work with you more and more. So yeah, I think having that story to share with your clients is, is huge. That's that's a big, a big boost.
0: I agree. And yeah, for the love of God, like guys... Just because and, and some of these people, you know, we're talking about that that actually are living that that big lifestyle, some of them actually are. For but sure. You have to know For that like just because somebody can get them there themselves doesn't mean they have any fucking clue how to actually get you there without using the same hypey sociopathic bullshit that they've used. You know? No, they so try just, to just
2: make you think that they figured it out when really right. They had someone holding their hand for the first two to three years while they were doing it and something finally broke for them and they made it.
1: And like, let's just be honest, it's like anything else. Luck is everything, okay? If I, sure. you know, if I end up as, if I end up as a big musical artist, okay, I'm just going to use a musical a music artist as an example. If I end up as a big music artist and if I talk to the right people and I, you know what I'm saying, I made, you know, the efforts that I made, you know, I can't guarantee that that's going to happen for you. I can't.
0: Right.
2: You can show them how to get to that point, but you can't guarantee the same outcome. I can tell you, you know, to be as passionate, I, I, I can
1: tell to you do. to be pa- I can tell you to put all your time and your blood, sweat and tears into it, but if if somebody's not willing to give you the same type of uh, you know, opportunity that they gave me, I there I can't do anything about that.
0: I, so I agree and disagree, right? And I used to, I, I, like, before things started working for me and clicking for me, I really had this chip on my shoulder and I was like, the people that make it, it's just all luck. It's just all luck and, you know, I can work my ass off and this, you know, may or may not happen. And now what I'm what I'm really starting to see or how my mindset is shifting is that your success is assured as long as you don't give up, right? Right. And so it's the people, you know, the people that make it in the music industry, they're the motherfuckers that it doesn't matter, like come hell or high water, they're, you know, sleeping under a bridge, they are going to fucking make it happen for themselves. Right. And that's how they end up with the opportunities. It's like, um, you know, but, but it, it, you have to dig so deep to find that level of commitment and determination. And that's what I had to find to get my coaching business actually off the ground because I struggled for years and years and years and years. And it was so demoralizing. It was fucking horrible. But it is my calling. So no matter how many times I tried to walk away, I kept getting pulled back. Right. So the the part of what you're saying though kind of has to do with how I run my business. Like I won't work with someone. I don't care if somebody wants to walk up and hand me, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to coach them. If they, if I don't think they can make it, I'm not going to take the money it's just, it's not, I'm not going to have that on my conscience. You know, if I can tell like, um, you know, that they've got a a drug problem, you know, I've I've talked to, I've talked to one person in the last year that I was like, they really need to get clean before they're going to be able. And I am nothing against drug use. I'm not totally sober now, but I'm just saying like, there's a point that it it becomes a problem. Right. And uh, you know, I'm talking to this person and I'm like, yeah, like I, I'm not going to take their money because they're, they're not in a place like they're, they're not going to be able to do this right now. They've got too much chaos and drama in their lives right now. You know Um, the other part of it is that, whereas most coaches are on this whole high horse about how they don't hold people's hands. Right. I don't hold people. I don't hold people's hands. And what I've, what I've really found is that I would have been much more successful much sooner if somebody hadn't just handed me a template or a video training and said, okay, go do this, but actually taking the time like to, to help me apply it to my business. Right. So that's, that's how I'm doing. My coaching now is, is, is taking on this kind of done with you quality where I'm not going to do my client's posts for them, but I will sit down and brainstorm with them and help them write them because I want them to get confident and competent at it. And then I'll let them loose to do it on their own. Right. But if I just tell them like, go do it, like, it does You're nothing not for do them. It right.
2: Yeah. It does nothing for them. And it does nothing for you as a business owner because that comes back on you, right? Like then your client right. turns around and says, Well, Heather did nothing for me. Like yep. I paid her a thousand dollars and I got nothing in return. I got some documents, I got some notes, but I got nothing in return. And then that just that that looks bad on your business, so
0: yeah, yeah. It, it does. But you know, what a lot of people do is they focus on the, you know, maybe 5%, maybe 10%, if I'm being generous of the people who get these stellar results with them. And they shout those to the rooftops and they just, you know, are real quiet about the 90% of people who invest with them and don't get anywhere. And they brush it under the rug and they're like, well, their mindset was bad. And it's like, no, if they showed up and they did the work, that's not a mindset issue that, you know, what you told them to do wasn't right. Or you didn't help them you didn't explain it well enough for them to do it on their own. You know, um, like I said, there's there's so much greatness in this industry, which is why I'm so passionate about it. It's why I'm so passionate about helping the um, mission, like truly mission-driven people, you know, get out here and do this because I want to be able to call those people, the people who actually give a shit, I want to call them my colleagues and I want to slowly make it so that these scammers and fucking predators just can't even operate because people just see through it and they're like, no, I'm not fucking with you. You know, um, that's, that's my big vision.
2: (laughs) So we, we touched a little bit on about what you're doing today, you know, 16 years in the escort industry, stripping all of that fun stuff, (laughs) but we want to dive a little bit more into kind of the fun side of you too. We're pulling this straight from your website. So anybody that wants to know more about you can also go find this information and we'll plug all that at the end. Um, But we wanted to go ahead and pull a couple of things, Uh, you know, Going back to the escort stuff a little bit, you know, it says you were uh, featured in two documentaries, one for ABC and one for MTV. Can you expand on that just a little bit or tell people where they could go find those or what the titles of those were?
0: Yeah. So. um, So, yeah. uh, Gosh, about it was less than a year of me actually escorting. I had an altercation with a client. And um, when I called the police on him because he had hit me and tried to rape me. Uh, the cops showed up and they were like, he didn't really hurt you. If you'll drop the charges against him, we'll drop the charges against you. And I'm like, are you fucking arresting me? Are you kidding wow. me? I went to jail for the night and then the cops wouldn't take me to the hospital even though I had this like scratch on the side of my face. Cause remember those big like gold nugget rings that yeah. were so fucking those gaudy oh, yeah. things that were oh, so yeah. popular. He's sm- mainly he, like backhanded me with one of those things. And um, they didn't want to take me to the hospital for it. You know, like they were, they were just being, you know, just being an asshole because I was a sex worker. And So it really, it really radicalized me. And so I found out that there was um, a sex workers rights movement and um, I started, you know, getting involved with that. And through that, that's how I ended up um, speaking at Emory University, speaking at Georgia State University uh, to the abnormal psych classes. That was really fun. And, uh, you know, doing some interviews. And so the first one was uh, John Stossel's Sex, Drugs, and Consenting Adults. And that one I've looked up and you can actually, you can't actually find that. Um, I I have one line, they did like a 30 minute interview of me and they only use like one line of it. And I'm talking about how uh, I think it's ridiculous that prostitution is illegal, but people can use their bodies as boxers and that's, that's legal, but you're, you're selling your body, you know, as a boxer, but it's the same if you're a dancer, a football player, you know, whatever. So they use one line from that. And then they have me. Uh, we had it set up where there was this person who was also a sex worker. Um, <laughs> I went to see him as if I was going to see a client. And so you just kind of like see me walking into a room. So that was pretty quick. The MTV one, it was a 30 minute special. Uh, it was called sex 2k escorts. And it was me, um, a guy, a male escort in Houston and a female escort in Chicago, And I was pretty heavily featured in that one. I think they, they did more footage of me than, um, than anyone else. And I can't find that one. I have it on VHS, um, but it's probably falling apart right now because it was like 1999, you know, I mean, shit, VHS is old as fuck. Um, But all that was really, and then I did stand up comedy about my life as a call girl, um, just locally, just, you know, very amateur stuff. Uh, But the whole point was to just get, get it out there so that people can see that like, you know sex workers are are real people you know we have like you're know, real people you know and and we shouldn't be hit and and then taken to jail and and disregarded you know um so it was really from an activist point of view that I did all that stuff
2: That's awesome and the you you said you had the you were speaking at a couple of universities that's while still active in the escort industry at the, at that time
0: yeah, yeah, and you know, of course, these these fucking classes were like at seven o'clock in the morning, and I was, you know, getting done <laughs> just at getting work home. At four. Yeah, I was like, I was getting done at work at four, and then like getting up. And my mentor, when she would go do these things, she would wake up and actually put on her face and go in and like full like horror regalia. Wow, you know? she, good for her. Um, you know, which is not streetwalker, but I mean, she would go in like actually, you know, the way that she would go to work. And um, I would just wake up and throw on like some sneakers and, and everything and just walk in. And I'd be like, look, you're lucky I'm here. I'd smoke a blunt on the way there. I'm just be like, <laughs> you're lucky I'm here. What do you want to know? <laughs> That's awesome. It was really fun. I, and, uh, you know, I just, you know, just this, all the stigma, this all this fucking stigma around like consensual crimes is just fucking stupid.
2: It's really cool that you were able to, to talk to the universities though. And I, I would assume some some women and, and even men probably took something away from that.
0: The students at Emory were a little uppity and uh, they they kind of gave me some shit. Like somebody was like, I remember a girl asked me, she's like, well, what are you doing that's contributing to society? And I was like, what are you doing that's contributing to society? You're, sitting, you're a college student. How are you contributing to society right cool. now? Now, maybe what you're going to do is going to contribute to society. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm giving blowjobs and easing stress of these CEOs so they can run the companies better. Like, what are you doing?
2: And I use my money to buy my groceries and pay my bills. So, what are you talking about? I'm contributing back to society every
0: day. Oh, that's so good. That's awesome. I don't, I don't know about you. I know my worth. <laughs> I love that so much. But overall, they were very respectful, you know. And if they hadn't have been, I would have I would have walked out, you know. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, not here for that.
1: Well, you've done a lot of things. You've been in documentaries. You have, I mean, you worked for several fast food and major corporations as shit jobs. You've done Uber and Lyft. But one of the things that really fascinated me as somebody who does music is that you got to perform at Atlanta Pride in 1997 on the main stage, playing guitar and singing five of your original songs. Uh, Two questions for this. How did you land that opportunity and how cool was that? And my second question to that is are these songs available today? Do you let people hear these originals?
0: <laughs> yeah, so um I I think they're on MySpace. <laughs> holy shit oh my god heather heather it's 2021 (laughs) you need to step up your (laughs) i just i just haven't done these things with them but um but yeah so um when i when i i learned to play i learned to play guitar when i was 17 uh for a beauty pageant um the 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 junior miss scholarship program you had to have a talent and i'm a really great singer but i knew there were other people that were you know great singers and so I um I asked my dad to to show me how to play a song so I learned to play this song for this junior miss pageant that's how I got started on guitar when I was 17 and uh, when I got you know when I got to college I started playing out a little bit and um, I would come into um, Atlanta there's a really great place for acoustic original music called Eddie's Attic it's in Decatur. and I would drive from Athens, Georgia to Decatur which was like an hour hour and a half drive on Monday nights to do their, um, their open mic. and I didn't realize it, but I was competing against I, I was just doing it to play out, but actually it was competition and I was competing against professional musicians. <laughs> and um, so I got kind of known in that community and uh, there was a guy and he was like, hey, um, I, I've got this brand new recording studio that I just put together in my basement, you know, um, but I need to learn how to use it. Would you be open to you know recording I'll, I'll record a demo for you just to get the practice? And I was like, okay. And, uh, I took a friend with me, you know, because I didn't want to get killed in some guy's basement and uh, he recorded five of my original songs. And then, uh, shortly thereafter, I just, I saw, a, a, an ad in the paper where the pride committee was looking for, um, looking for acts and I sent it in and, and they, they chose me, uh, which was amazing. And so I, I took my little bisexual self up there, um, <laughs> and played my five songs and um it was the biggest gig I ever played and it was it was really 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 exciting
2: did you get Um, some good feedback from the crowd and everything like did they they dig it
0: yeah, I got some good feedback. Now they, um, I was, I was supposed to be playing as the parade was coming back into the, the park, <laughs> um, up park, but, uh, something got off with the timing. And so there were like the, the, the parade didn't arrive until later. So there were, there were definitely more people than I'd ever played to that were, you know, out, but, um, the full crowd wasn't there. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't massive. Um, But yeah, I I, I was on the same stage as the Indigo Girls, and I I love the Indigo Girls, so that was exciting. I didn't get to meet them, Um, but yeah, I was on the site. They played later that day, I think. All
1: right, so this story, I need to know what the hell happened. Your hair caught fire (laughs) at a dead man's wedding, and I need to know what happened, because how the hell was a dead man getting married, and how the hell did your hair catch on fire?
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I knew that one that one that was a good story so um so i met this girl you know working and uh she you know she had a lot more like street knowledge than i did and everything so i kind of followed her around like a puppy and um you know uh a few weeks after meeting her you know i already knew that the relationship she had with this guy was fucking nuts like she had called me once and you know done the captain save a hoe thing you know he hit me will you come get me and you know, I went and got her and then they got back together like the fucking next day. So I already knew the situation was crazy. And she called me about maybe three months after I'd known her. And she was like, hey, we're getting married in Gatlinburg. You should come. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I drive up to Gatlinburg and um they get married. They get married in this little chapel. And um, she was like one of the most beautiful brides that you've ever seen. But it was hilarious because... I'm wearing a red dress. I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to be in this wedding. And so I didn't bring anything to wear. The only thing she had that would fit me was this red dress. So I'm, I'm like a hooker in a red dress as the the maid of honor. Um, she is in a snow white dress. She's like 26 years old. She's been hooking since she was 15. The um, maid, of, the, 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 the man of honor and the groom were both wanted. I didn't know for what. And I had sense <laughs> enough not to ask, but they were both wanted. I knew that much. So, um, (laughs) so, and, and like, and and like living under, well, I don't, you know, I don't know about the other guy, but the the groom, I knew he definitely had a fake name. So, um, they're, we're we're at the ceremony and it's all, you know, very beautiful and everything. This is gorgeous chapel and it's surrounded by candles, like real fucking candles. And at one point I had to step out of the way so that they could go over to the unity candle and light it. And so we had practiced it, you know, like real quick little real practice before we did the real thing and and all and whatnot. And they didn't, you know, give me any warnings. But so my friend, uh, it comes time, I step out of the way and I'm standing like right beside the preacher with my back to the the front wall of the chapel. And um, I'm watching my friend, you know, all beautiful and everything, lighting the candles together, yada, yada. They had uh, Aladdin's A Whole New World playing (laughs) their song. Great choice, great choice. (laughs) I I smell something funny and I feel the preacher like reach behind my head and like softly touch my hair. And I see my friend and she's got her veil down and she's laughing so hard. Her makeup is running, you know? And, um, so, you know, my hair had caught on fire. And I mean, at that time I didn't wear any hair products. If I had had any hairspray in my head, I would have gone up like Michael Jackson during that Pepsi. Commercial. Oh yeah. Like it would have been. Fucking oh
2: yeah. Bad. Shout out to the
0: throwback. <laughs> <laughs> but my fucking hair caught on fire. So, of course, we videotape this whole thing. And I'm like, guys, we have got to send that to America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, we will fucking win. That is hilarious. And they're like, nah, 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 nah. And they put me off about it. And I was like, okay, whatever. So several years later, I've gone on vacation with these people. Um, I was there when their son was born. You know, I've, I've been through it with them. Um, I get a phone call from my, my friend. And uh, she's like, um, she's like, Drew's in jail. And I, and I, and I was like, holy shit, you know, cause I knew he was wanted. So I was like, okay. And she's like, you, you gotta come watch the kids so I can go get him. And I'm like, okay, I'm on my way, you know, and I get to her house and she's like frantic. And she's like, oh my God, he's in jail. He's in jail. No, 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 no. And I was like, okay, just take a deep breath and go get him. Try to bail him out before they figure out, you know, that he's wanted. And she finally looks at me. And she says, you don't understand. Drew is dead. And I was like, okay, I know I'm high because I was always high. But I'm like, I'm not that fucking high. You said he was in—he's dead or he's in jail. Like, what the fuck? And that's when it comes out. He had been facing a third strike felony drug trafficking charge. And he had faked his death several years ago. That's why he was living under a student.
1: Oh, my God. I
0: <laughs> had no fucking idea.
1: Holy <laughs> shit. That's nuts. <laughs> that's a great story It's so
0: funny because like i was so country and like when i first started listening to rap i was like i want to live the rap style lifestyle like i was i was fucking I was fucking idiot and what i what i didn't realize is that i had more street cred than most of the rappers out there like so many of these rappers have never sold drugs you know they're rapping about shit they've never fucking done right and and like i was i was kicking it with like a a one of the biggest cocaine traffickers in georgia
2: <laughs> I had wow. No idea. <laughs> I mean, you do say you're a little hippie and a little thug. So, you know, it It I makes mean, a, a, lot sense, a lot of sense. A lot of sense. I wanted to to wrap back around to something that you had said. And I am curious. You know, you said you had asked your dad to teach you to play the guitar. Um, you know, and you you've mentioned your family was a little crazy and got crazier and then got even crazier. Like, what is your family like today? What's your relationship with your family like today? And then what what did your parents think about escorting? I, I would assume after 16 years, they caught on eventually. Right. Or were you able to, yeah, do that so team, I, right?
0: I, I told them, you know, and then when I was on TV, I didn't have a choice. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. When I was um, doing the ABC documentary, the local ABC affiliate actually interviewed me for the six o'clock news um, to uh, promote the the documentary that was coming on later that night. So uh, my family knew they were not pleased Um it was funny, the more, the more conservative side of the family actually forgave me more quickly than the, um, cause Jesus told them to, um, you know, it's, it's funny cause they were both, they were both religious, but the more <laughs> conservative side actually, uh, was, was a lot, uh, a lot easier to deal with, you know, about it. Right. And I, I made amends to my grandparents, you know, I was like, I, I know I really put you through a lot. I know you worried about me. I know, um, you know, I know that this, uh, wasn't easy to bear in a small town where everybody knows, you know, who you are and, uh, my grandmother was like a pillar of the local community, so that had to be like really embarrassing. Um, and I didn't do it to embarrass them, and I didn't do it to um I didn't do it as revenge. They did go crazier, and and that gave me kind of the permission. I was like, I don't care what they think anymore, but it was never like I'm gonna go do this because it's gonna hurt them. It was just like, I want to go do this, this looks entertaining. Um, and I was right, it was also very fucking dangerous. Um, so my family today um Sadly, um, I've, I've had to make, uh, you know, what's the best choice for me and, and to really cut most of them off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, um, I don't speak to my mom. I don't speak to my sister. Um, I, uh, am my dad's caretaker, he has an autoimmune disorder. Okay. And so, um, I stay with him and, and we, you know, we have our moments, but we have a pretty good relationship. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't have a lot of contact with my family of origin. My grandparents have passed, but, um, I made amends to them. That was one of the benefits of being in recovery. Um, I, uh, made amends. So there's nothing else to clear the air, you know, about, I know they love me. They know I love them. You know, everybody said they're sorry. Um, you know, so yeah. So my family now is more like family of choice. You, you
2: help out with your dad today and, you know, your dad teaches you to play the guitars things like would you say you're a little bit of a daddy's girl? Have you always been tied to him more than than anyone else in your family?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. My, yeah. my dad and I are like the same person. Like gotcha. we're 50% the exact same person and 50% polar opposites. So it's, it's, that's one of the things that's been really hard for us to navigate. It's very interesting to have someone that you have so much in common with and then also be completely on different page about a lot of and other Yeah, you things. live with
1: them and take care of them so, I mean, there's, there's always that aspect, you know, it's so different from when you're afar, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, he, he, um, well, I had come to take care of him with autoimmune disorder, and he was, actually, he was still in the weeds with it, he was getting a little bit better um, when I found out I had cancer, so we really had to prop each other up, you know, for like two years, as we were both dealing with, you know, major health concerns.
2: I think being close to at least, like, for me I was super close with my mom. Like my dad's dope, my dad's still around, my mom is passed already, but uh it's there's there's something about going through things together that kind of brings you to, to closer together. When I was going blind, my mom really stepped up and it kind of built this stronger bond. Like obviously as mother and child, we had a bond and you know our relationship was just as fucked up as you know anybody's that is. It has a fucked up relationship with their parents, but once I was going through something, she really stepped up. And so it's kind of cool to be able to be there for each other and she was going through things too. So, you know, it, it tightened our thing, our our bond together and stuff. And it was it's a it's a good moment. It's, you know, when you can kind of realize, ah, uh, this isn't it's not as fucked up yeah. as it was when I was a child, you know. As an adult, you kinda of look back and be like, oh, that wasn't great. But hey, it's great today and that's all that matters. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, everybody matures, you know, every, everybody grows and I'm glad you had that opportunity. And I definitely can relate, uh, with that, uh, with my dad.
1: Wild coach LLC is your business promote your website, tell them where they can go to find you. If they want to learn how not to be, uh, when they're trying to make it in the world,
0: W Y L D E. I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes. Um, yeah, uh, I, I hang out mostly on Facebook at, at, Heather wild coach. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but reach out on Facebook. It'll be a better way to get me. And, um, yeah, I'm putting together a book. It'll be out in early 2022 and it's going to be something along the lines of like, uh, the new, new entrepreneur survival guide, you know, um, basically not calling out any names, but just telling people like, here's the red flags, And here's what you actually want to see, you know, for somebody that that you're thinking about working with. Uh, Because I just, you know, this is a great industry. It's a great opportunity for you as an entrepreneur. But there's a lot of bullshit out there. And I just want to help people, you know, choose the people that are going to be great for them.
2: And she's going to keep it 1000% real with you.
1: (laughs) That's heatherwild.com.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for your time. Um, This has been awesome. I learned a lot. A lot. (laughs) a lot of things that I I didn't know about the escort industry I now am better educated on, um, as well as how not to get kind of pushed around and bullied by, you know, people out there that want to make a buck off me, and I'm trying to make a buck in this world myself. So that was a lot of information, and and hopefully people will hear this and be inspired by you and, um, you know, want to learn some more information about bettering their life from
1: you. And thank you so much for being so open. I mean, I know that... For so many people, even going through past traumas and having their life trajectory kind of show some of a lot of the things that you've went through, especially having to escort and having to figure some shit out. Uh, the fact that you've been able to come out on the other side and talk about it so freely and openly, it 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 really is awesome to see that. So, thank you so much for being open uh with us but also with anybody who interviews you and talks to you gets the opportunity to talk to you well we'll definitely have to have you on in the future
0: i appreciate the opportunity i love what you guys are doing you know i just i love the way you really treat your guests with respect uh but you know you're talking about some serious stuff but you're also doing it in a fun way you know which is very like that's the way to go like take life as seriously as you need to and then you know fuck the rest <laughs>
2: that's our new tagline copyright copyright
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's so awesome thank Thank you, you so much thank you guys i appreciate you having me on